putting on a production of The Arabian Nights by Mary Zimmerman. It's directed by MFA candidate Evan Frayne, and it will be um, it'll be premiering March 17th to April 2nd um, at the Freddie Wood Theater, 7.30. I heard it's going to be very, 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 very good. And here to talk a little bit more about the show today is... Uh, lead actress Elizabeth Willow, you're at the final year of the BFA program, and you are playing the role of Sheherazad. You got it. Oh, yes, <laughs> I got it. Right. Great. Anyways, I guess the first thing I want to ask is, welcome to the show. And you. uh, can you tell us about the story and who the character is in case for people who don't know the story about the Arabian Nights? Sure. Um the story of the Arabian Nights, uh, it's a collection of folk stories that come from all across uh, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. They originated on the Silk Route trade route. Mm-hmm. So it spans all the way from China right into northern Africa. And so it's just a collection of of the stories that were told along here. And they're framed within the narrative um, of the relationship between King Shahiyar and his wife Shahrazad, mm-hmm. who I am playing. Um, so basically the story is King Shahiyar uh, one night found his first wife in bed with a slave and so he killed them both and then every night for three years he would marry a new girl and then kill her and so Shahrazad comes up with a a scheme Mm -hmm. to save the women um, of the kingdom by basically offering herself up as his next wife Mm -hmm. and then she tells him her stories to captivate him reintegrate him into society teach him how to uh, empathize empathize, how to love Mm -hmm. how to respect other people I guess (laughs) it's it's a really yeah so there's that frame story and then all of the quite moral tales that she tells him Mm -hmm. along the way yeah. And this, um, The Arabian Nights, this one is an adaptation by Mary Zimmerman. And as you it mentioned is. yourself, it is um, based on the Book of the Thousand Nights and One Night. How familiar are you to the original text? With the original text, I did quite a lot of research. Mm-hmm. It's very long, yes. so I did not have time to read everything. But as any good actor should do, mm-hmm. um, especially when they're working with a text that they are not entirely familiar with, I got all of the books out of the library uh-huh. here at UBC, and I read through as as much of it as I could before the rehearsal process in mm-hmm. great detail. And from then on, I would just refer specifically to the stories mm-hmm. from the original text that appear in our play when I ran out of time to do the super super deep research because uh-huh. um, they're all of the all of the stories that appear in our text are straight from the original book of a thousand one nights mm-hmm. um though what the original book is it's really hard to say there's a lot of different yeah, iterations of course, you know the adaptation mm-hmm. of Zimmerman herself what did she exactly pick? what she brought to it because mm-hmm. she was definitely she the reason she wrote this adaptation is it's meant to be a commentary on the Iraq war Mm -hmm. Uh, that's where this originated. So she was very strategic with the stories that she chose to bring into her adaptation of the narrative in terms of what she wanted to say about the way in which um, the West views the Middle East um, and the way in which they were approaching the, the war. Okay, mm-hmm. and how much have you, and you said you mentioned you did the research, and how much have you studied the original cultural aspect outside of the uh, the book itself? Quite a lot. Um, again, that's just as an actor, that is one of the things uh-huh. you should do, um, especially considering it is not my culture. That's mm-hmm. not my cultural heritage. So I felt a great responsibility to learn as much as I could mm-hmm. so I could tell this story with as much truth and respect as it deserves mm-hmm. um so the the kind of the frame of the story it all not centers around but it's very much concerned with a king who was a real man uh, yeah. called Harun al-Rashid he's one of the characters in the stories that she tells and he was he was a real guy mm-hmm. and um during the Islamic golden age in what was known as the Abbasid Caliphate and he was an incredible leader. He made huge advances in terms of art and science, universities, hospitals. Mm-hmm. He was a ju- huge patron of the arts and the sciences, 
really encouraged free thought, really encouraged education for women. It was just all around. He seemed like a pretty great guy. Uh-huh. He did have around 23 wives, I think. So, mm-hmm. you know, modern sensibilities would frown on that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yes, I did. To answer your question more succinctly, I did quite a bit of research just about Mm -hmm. the time in which it was set. But with our staging of it, we're also being quite ambiguous. Like, we're not setting it in a particular historical time period or even a particular Mm -hmm. place. Okay. It's it's very, yeah. All right. Um, And this research, was it actually kind of like... uh, did, did the professors like want like did was it kind of like a group led research or was it all on the individual self to learn more? It was, I mean, you as part of an actor's job is before that first read or first rehearsal, mm-hmm. you should have done a ton of research. You should have looked up all the words and all the references that you don't know. You should understand where the story yes. is taking place, the history around it, who the playwright was, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I had done all that by myself. In terms of group discussion. In a short rehearsal period, there isn't a ton of time for it. I understand. Um, but we obviously have been talking a lot in our rehearsal just about what that world is, um, mm-hmm. where we're setting the story, and also a lot, especially given recent events, we've been talking a lot in our rehearsal process about um, cultural appropriation and all of that mm-hmm. and representation of um, actors of color on stage and so our rehearsal process has been a little bit more concerned with that, which has been fantastic and very enlightening. But at the same time, the setting is quite ambiguous. Is, is there a reason why, uh, even though you guys talk about making sure that it's very you know referential to certain places in time, is there a is is there a reason why this place is much more ambiguous? Um, I mean, I'm not one of the designers, mm-hmm, so I, I can't quite speak to that. Uh, that would be a fantastic question for Evan and our costume designer mm-hmm. and our set designer. Um, but I guess as a character living in that world, how did you connect the yeah. character of Shahrazad? So it was a lot in terms of, but to speak a little bit about that, I think mm-hmm. the reason that it was left so open-ended, and this is just my own Interpretation, opinion, of course. Um, is that these stories are so diverse. Mm-hmm. They're from all over the place. So it's really hard to pin one area down and say this is where those stories come from because they were from mm-hmm. such such a wide and rich cultural tradition and background and different cultural traditions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of how to connect... Uh, it was it was tough to find like one thing to latch on to. So what I really yes. focused on more than, I mean, I obviously did my research in terms of the background of the tales, but what I really tried to connect to with her is just her need, mm-hmm. you know, that she sees this problem and how she chooses to approach it and that it's it's it really is a story about a strong woman fighting the influence of I don't want to use the term the the patriarchy but mm-hmm. of this man who has lost his way mm-hmm. so he exerts power on women based on his whims. exactly yes. exactly so that was kind of my way into it mm-hmm. and I think our whole season at uh, theater at UBC this year has really been focused on these amazingly strong female characters mm-hmm. um, all three of our plays have been written by female playwrights two of our directors were women all three of the um, shows have amazing female leads. Yes. So that was, mm-hmm. yeah. Were there any, any kind of new things you discovered about yourself while playing the role? Um, you learn, I learn something new about myself every time I take on a different character. That's and great. sometimes it's really hard to nail down what it is yes, until the show is over and I have a little bit more space from it to mm-hmm. reflect. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you an entirely satisfactory answer to that question. That's okay. Were there any maybe some challenges in the production that you overcame? Um, It's, I mean, this is a very technical actor thing. Of course, but but that's all right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the challenge of, because the way Zimmerman has set it up is that all the stories obviously are stories that Shahrazad tells. Yes. But... We have an amazing ensemble of very talented actors who come in to be the characters in the ah, story. Yes, I see. So I don't speak all the dialogue of the stories. Mm-hmm. So just staying connected the whole time. The play has within been, a play. Exactly. Has been challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. What was it like to use the Arabic words? I heard you guys have to speak yes. Arabic, right? Um, we 
Not exactly. There are a lot of um, words of Arabic origin in the play. Okay. And a lot of the names are of of that. Mm-hmm. They're not changed at all? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are lucky enough to have uh, Parmas Sahat, who plays my younger sister and a few other characters. Mm-hmm. She speaks... Farsi fluently. She's Persian herself. So mm-hmm. she put together a fantastic pronunciation guide for oh, us. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And so it was really great to be able to reference that and just to have her in the rehearsal hall because these are, you know, stories that she and um, the person who plays Shahriar as well, he is also of Persian heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just great to have them in the rehearsal hall because these stories are part of their. Mm-hmm. cultural background in a way that they aren't for some of us. Yes. So it's been, their insights have been very, very valuable. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, again, this is the Arabian Nights. She told stories to survive until sunrise. And if people want to see the show, this is on March 17th to April 2nd, and they want to, let's say, talk to you, talk to the actors, when would the talk back be? The talk back is on Wednesday, April twenty mm-hmm. third. All right, great. Yes, that is a, that's mm-hmm. the day. Yeah, and so come to the show. Stay afterwards. You, there will be a talk back with all of the actors. Will be there. Evan will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps some of our designers as well. And so it's a really fantastic chance to try to come and just engage in some dialogue with us. Tell yeah. us if you liked what you saw. Yeah, listeners, if you are interested in seeing the Arabian Nights, which I do recommend seeing, I did see some of the designs. They look very, very um, cool, and we have a very talented cast here at UBC. Come support your local theater. Again, it is March 17th to April 2nd at the Freddie Wood Theater at 7.30. We're now going to go into a few PSAs, but we'll be back with some more cool arts-related stuff, so stay tuned. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, It's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discord or magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. Passionate, playful, and provocative storytelling. Theater at UBC's upcoming show, The Arabian Nights, by acclaimed playwright Mary Zimmerman, is being directed by Evan Frame and running from March 17th to April 2nd at the Frederick Wood Theater. The narrative centers around Scheherazade's tales told to King Shariar in hopes that she may live another night. Or 1,001 nights. <laughs> Right here on News 101. Right here on News 101. What motivated you to become a candidate in the provincial election? The media portrayal of last week's protest that resulted in polarizing images of black-clad activists taking to the streets. He was just explaining to us the reason why they wanted to show this film on campus. The official stance is that we are for the Olympics. News 101 reporter Brad Pepping was there. By discriminating against homeless people in Vancouver, there's a disproportionate impact on Aboriginal people as well as people with disabilities. I was pretty outraged. I mean, it's, it is outrageous. In-depth coverage from an alternative perspective. News 101 is Vancouver's only live, volunteer-produced student and community newscast, bringing you local, national, and international news from an alternative perspective. Tune in Mondays and Fridays at 5 p.m. right here on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. Live streaming and podcasts are available online at citr.ca. 
Welcome back to the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. Here at the Arts Report, I'm joined by my fabulous arts reporters, Jake Clark and Annie Tom. And I'm Ashley Park, your host, because I forgot to say my name. Full names only. Full names only. That's how we do it on this show. That's right. There we go. All right, so Jake, you have some cool stuff for us. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, I saw the Arts Club's production of Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice. And now, this is the second time I've seen Pride and Prejudice. Uh, the first time was um, at home. Not not, not the same rendition by any means. The one I saw at home was about, I'm going to say, at least 45 minutes longer. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was, that was, I remember that. I was, I was a lot younger than my, <laughs> my parents brought me to that one. Or was it school? Anyway, that was, that was a good show, though. I remembered it. This was a very good show. I'll say that right off the bat. Oh, really? It was, um. It Who was it done by? The Arts Club. Arts Club. Very and, nice. uh, the, there, there was some, like, it was, it was, it was a good piece of work all around. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, the thing about the book that I find most redeemable is it's got a very great sense of back and forth. Like, there's a lot really? of snark to snark combat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, between th- Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, but also all round uh, oh. between her parents, especially mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Bennett, very funny, uh, very funny guy. But the now uh, I did mention I saw the rivals. Yes, right? you did. Which was just which was another piece of master. I remember you really liked combat. it. I did, and I recognized one person from the rivals in it. Really? Yes, this man was Scott Bellis, who had the dual role of Mr. Collins and Mrs. Reynolds. Also, Mrs. he was Lucius O'Trigger in uh-huh. the rivals, um, uh-huh. and he is. Very different, also a villainous character, very different kind of villainous. Yeah. Lucius so Trigger in The Rivals was this pompous, brash, arrogant Southerner, Southern, like, um, sort of foghorn leghorn type of Southern accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he did better, <laughs> but I can only do so much. That's okay, and then good enough. Mr. Collins was this weedly little, uh, uh, obsequious clergyman trying to get his way up by cousining up to Darcy's, uh, mm-hmm. aunt, who is thoroughly unpleasant character mm-hmm. um very well embodied here in this performance as well but this um is very well done in that regard then mrs reynolds though is darcy's housekeeper yeah and uh the, when i noticed that the guy switched the costumes in the intermission i was wait wait a second i checked my program yep that's him it was it was amazing like it was it was a very good piece of work and very like especially compared to lucius o'trigger like these are Really well done characters. I applaud the guy for his work there, and that to me kind of overshadowed the other performances, even though they were not bad by any means. There was um, there was Eric Craig as Mr. Darcy, very good at portraying how stiff necked Darcy's character is, like uh-huh. how his almost psychotic self confidence. Like he's, he's, the character's a good person, but he's I know I'm right all the oh, time. And, I know people yeah. like that. It's yeah, not as charming as that's uh, yeah, and. He he does that very well. Mm-hmm. He he bridges the foibles of that too because it seems like Darcy's like humanity kind of breaks through at times, but yep. most of the time he's just boom, excellently done. The, the contrast there is very good. Also, uh, one I do want to uh, bring up is yes. um, David Marr as Mr. Bennett. And uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Bennett, I remember in the movie he's played by Donald Sutherland. That's the only uh-huh. part I remember out of the movie. Actually, full mm-hmm. disclosure, I, I didn't find it the movie very engaging but that's okay um in this one he's very good as his sort of very calm like very calm very laid-back character which is and i like mr bennett as a character because he's a very laid-back per, like a very i i, I don't know if laid-back's a proper term but he's, he's unworried kind of a, he's, he's kind of a chill character mm-hmm. he's calm he is and he's, he's a loving collected. father yes yes he's, he's a loving father and mm-hmm. That's well embodied here as David Marr because he he's this very matter of fact delivery. He is a, <laughs> it, they, I remember one line is um, because Mr. Collins originally proposes to um, to uh, Elizabeth yes. and that doesn't go over too well. And her mother wants Elizabeth to marry so that at least one daughter can get married. I yeah, mean, that, that's that that's that's, that's the plot. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and the line he delivers after this, and I didn't remember this in the original, but I really remembered it now because I really quite liked it. He goes, Elizabeth. If you you are on the horns of a dilemma, my dear, if you marry Mr. Collins, you shall never. If you don't marry Mr. Collins, you shall never see your mother again. Mm-hmm. And if you do marry him, you'll never see me. Aww. 
it was yeah. it was it was a very matter of fact delivery. Like he was taking her side in the mm-hmm. argument. It was a, that that was fun. And um, the Bennett sisters were uh, played were all played very well. Um, good range uh, of ages, and there was. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't really comment that much on um, other performances. They were all very good, but they were, to me anyway, they were very, they were kind of uh, overshadowed by just like, I was like, wow, like he's these two people. Like I thought that I did, I was kind of blown away by that. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the production was well staged too. It was a good, very, uh, I'd say it was, it was a useful. How use- would you call the mise-en-scene? Do you think you were transported to that time of England? Somewhat, but uh, not in uh, a realistic, uh, like not not oh, in the way really? of this is so realistic because you can yes, only really do so much on the stage. What they did is they framed it with paintings. Oh, uh, there were mm-hmm. these very nice, very in the style of time too. I because I, I my knowledge of art history is kind of touch and go, but that's uh, a style of art that I, I've I've seen a lot of. And mm-hmm. there's there's an art gallery in London that features a lot of those paintings. And I I looked at that and it's like it, it captures the mood very well mm-hmm. because. Um, Characters are seen painting frequently, and well, not, not more than more than one, I should say. But it was it was a it was a discipline. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. some, it was something a, a hobby a lot of people took up for variable reasons. I mean, you have that much spare time. Yeah, but as well. Yeah, I mean, leisurely. The, I, I, idle gentry. Yeah, and uh, but it was um it was a fine thing to see. Like they because they the backdrops there was a backdrop of painting of the estate, and then there were the paintings also came into in the Darcy home because it was a gallery of paintings. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and. Uh, that was that was a fine thing to see because these were all well rendered paintings. I wouldn't be surprised if they were commissioned. I, I think I think they were commissioned mm-hmm. for the um, thing. It looked to be done in oil. But it really evoked the mood that they were going for. It did upper crust sort of thing. Yeah, upper crust, kind of whimsical. Like the the my my main gripe with Pride and Prejudice, as with most of Jane Austen's work, is that the issue doesn't seem seems doesn't seem serious especially now because of how context. dated that is but yeah, i understood that and it, it does put you in the headspace a bit they do need to, that does need to be done uh, if mm-hmm. you want to retell the story because it doesn't uh there's some issues um it, the issues main issue like there's the dramatic issue in the story when uh lydia goes off with uh oh who is uh wickham wickham yep, that's wickham. him and he um and she, uh, they're they're worried. Oh my God! If they're not married, it'll be scandal. And then yeah. Collins, oh my, he, the uh, Bella says this great, uh, most loathsome moment is Collins when Collins is just taunting them about that, and it's like that's just one of the times when I really is like when that's when Phil Hartman said that he loved playing villains because he could make them just go so much farther. And I saw that right then. It was like that's a great, that is an incredibly loathsome line. Hats off <laughs> to, to, to Scott Bellis. and um, mm. but. Uh, and then the the reaction to that um, is very serious and oh, kind of really? grave because, mm-hmm. well, you know, if you don't, you, you go to scandal, you go to bat for familial um, honor. At the time, of it course, is yes. really serious issue. Uh, it's a deeply chauvinistic pro- issue as well. It does show that, like yes. uh, how incredibly sort of one sided um, that is. It, it mm-hmm. was uncomfortable for me in that regard. Mm-hmm. It was good. It, it was it was a good. Good bit of uh, work, though, when they frame it, because Darcy does solve the, the, the situation, and it's like, okay, so that is that is one. And they do kind of show, like, he's he's trying to make amends for it, but this, mm-hmm. it's it's relative. It, it worked well with the book, because I, I have read the book, and mm-hmm. they, I, I can't complain about it. In all honesty, I like the show better than the book, but that's that's me. That's a, that's a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. It was also uh, directed by, by Sarah Rogers, who's had a very good run of um, shows – was at was at a very good tenure with the Arts Club and yes. working with this theater especially, and it, it was an accomplished show. Like I could I could tell that this was um this was probably like done by a person who had well, one a very good knowledge of the source material yes. because it worked that way, and two that they had a knowledge of the space and the constituents therein. Like it it didn't nothing mm-hmm. it, it seemed very fitting. Oh, yeah. If there was one word I could say to describe it, it'd be fitting. Mm-hmm. So there was that. I mean, have you guys seen shows like that? Well, like, would you say? I we wouldn't say we've seen things that are more fitting. We would say we would say things that are a little more out there, and we will actually let people know what it is after a few of these messages because they involve the Vancouver International Dance Festival. And might I say, we have something really cool for those who are listening. Anyways, stay tuned. We're gonna go into a few PSAs. You're listening to the Arts Report on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. <laughs> Need to talk? AMS Speakeasy offers free, one-on-one, confidential, drop-in peer support sessions with trained volunteers. 
Our goal is to lend a listening ear and empower you to continue to strive towards wellness. Our services are available Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. during exam season. Support sessions can be requested at our desk on the main floor of the nest or by ringing the doorbell outside our private space in room 3121. Learn more by visiting the AMS Speakeasy website. No issue is too big or too small. We're here to listen. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team, and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. Your friends are here to see you. Get off the computer, will you? Hey, Timmy. Do you want to come out and shoot hoops with us at the park? Uh, you know what? I'm actually busy playing on the computer right now. Whatever. You never come out to play with us anymore. Let's go, guys. 30% of young adults are prone to stroke, and this statistic is on the rise. Stroke prevention starts early. Are you sure you don't want to play? My cousin's in town and he's playing too. Strokes can be prevented by regular exercise, a healthy, balanced diet, and sleeping well. Uh, you know what? I'm coming too. Wait up for me, guys. Follow UBCHSF on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for regular tips on healthy living. Strong heart, strong start. All right, and welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and I'm joined by the lovely... Jay Clark and Andy Ta. You guys are lovely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Anyways... Another thing that's lovely is the Vancouver International Dance Festival. I know we've been, like, plugging in. You guys have to go see it. We went to see it, and we are blown away. I have a really cool ticket giveaway for those who are listening to the Arts Report right now. This is for Company 605, also known as 605 Collective, for Vital Few. This is for March 17th, so it is for next week. If you are interested in these tickets, the number is 604 822 2487. Once again, it's 604-822-2487 for these pair of tickets for Company 605's Vital Few. And the one thing I really do like about the Vancouver International Dance Festival is the emphasis on the international part. Yesterday, I went to go see a show at the BIDF, and it was a um, it was a Bratanatiam show. It was really wonderful. Bratanatyam is a traditional Indian uh, dance drama style. It was called The Longing Courtesan by Sujit Vaidya, who hmm. is a freelance solo Bratanatyam performer. He's actually based in Vancouver, Canada. And after his initial training with Mandala Arts in Vancouver, he is now receiving advanced training under Guru A. Lakshman in Chennai. The thing about The Longing Courtesan that I thought was very interesting when I went to see it is that the solo dancing part is actually for a woman, but Sujit is a man. So he's taking on the um, character who is a woman and um, purposely doing a dance style that is technically, if we were to gender dance styles, feminine. Hmm. Um, so a little, little bit the longing courtesan. It's spring is sprung, passions are soaring as flora and fauna um, surround her mate. The courtesan calls upon her king to come make love to her and fulfill her. I'm filled with desire for you, she says, and I need you in this moment. So hmm. it's a very passionate and sexual play. As you so can... it's a burlesque? No, it's not a burlesque. It's in the Bratanatyam style, though. So um, it's not a burlesque. Even oh. though it's very openly sexual and okay. the main character is female, he moved in a way that was so kind of captivating. And I don't know um, what it is, but with the music accompaniment... Um, the Natubangam, the vocals, the Miridangam, and the violin, all done by musicians Vidya Subramanian, Tanya Panda, Curtis Andrews, and Mukun Shankar. I hope I'm not butchering those names. It really worked in this beautiful, almost hypnotic, like sensual dance hmm. just before our eyes at the Roundhouse um, Performance Center. It was really amazing. And the thing about Bratanatyam is... 
it's not a lot of it's not about the large movements but also about the very tiniest of details the way his fingers move all have a different meaning in the semiotics of Brahmanyatyam and the way his facial expression is and the way he moves let's say his feet even his feet like how much he raises it how much the toes curl how he you know puts it down it all has a different meaning and it was quite enjoyable i would say it was rather hypnotic it was rather hypnotic and if people are interested in seeing it again uh, sujit vadia will be showing the long courtesan at the roundhouse exhibition hall today at 7 p.m. and also another really cool show that i want to talk about which was the uh, one of the main uh, shows for vadf was called like smoke like ash by natsu nakajima So Natsu Nakajima was born in Sakhalin in 1943. She trained in classical ballet before studying modern dance with Masami Kuni. At 19, she entered the Kazuo Ono Dance Institute and one year later became a founding member of the first Buto dance activity within uh with a uh, late uh, Tatsumi Hijikata. So she has all this experience in modern forms, ballet, Buto, and she came to VADF with Like Smoke, Like Ash. So the Japanese character for smoke and the Japanese character for ash both contain the letter of fire known as ki. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So that doesn't translate. It doesn't translate. You do have to see the words yourself listeners. Feel free to search it up. Um but they all have the same kind of um that that the character within right. the words. Um it it is as though they are etymologically recalling their material origin of fire. and visually indicate themselves as the next stage of transformation in this life of fire. So it's a hot show. It is kind of a it's a it's a hot and cold show. It's a hot it's a and cold show. show yeah, we will, we will it is there's a lot of layers to it. Uh so Hijikata would often tell his disciples to become disappearing things and appearing things. So disappearance for him meant more than simple self-erasure. It contained the element of something else. the structure of containment with one thing harboring the possibility of another might be turned in kind of a compound just like charcoal hidden in the embers of a dying fire there is this idea that when you are disappearing you're also being another thing so that's what she says so she said this is the way i learned to live and dance from tatsumi hijikata and kazuo ono it is a way of dance my entire life in the brief encounter of one night a lasting message might be fleetingly passed from an old generation to a new like the life of a firework in the night with this dance i pray and pass a flower to those who have already gone so again um natsu nakajima was the choreographer and performer of like smoke like ash and you and i went to go see it andy oh yeah that's right we saw it yesterday you sent me a text you're like hey You want to see this thing and I was like, yeah, I do want to see this thing. And that's why people should also call in to get the tickets for VADF. You should go see this thing. So, what were your initial reactions, Andy? Um, it was really kind of hard to grasp, I think at times. And I think at the end we came across, like we came with like where we ended up with two different interpretations. Mm-hmm. And I think yours was the smarter, more intelligent reading. No, don't say that. It. Don't say that. How did you interpret her dance and what did she do that made you think that you were coming to this interpretation. So it it kind of begins with um this cacophony of of thunder, the cackling of fire and mm-hmm. and some rain and all these kinds of disparate sounds. Mm-hmm. And you see this this woman seemingly struggling to come to life or or perhaps as as you you said um to come back to life, right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty obvious um kind of reading of that first part of the dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it kind of continues and uh the cack the crackling of the fire and the thunder give way to to a kind of rain perhaps. Yeah. Um the lighting I think which is really interesting. Um it becomes very dark and she disappears from the stage basically. Like which kind of um makes sense given what you just talked about. I didn't have any of this context going mm-hmm. in so yeah. And then After that disappearance there were other some other elements too there was the use of visuals in which there was a um there was a a raven happening some right. space happening space like yep. it feels like they went to outer space for a minute and I was like this is I don't really get what's going on but it's pretty cool 
Because of the projected images, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the raven, And the sounds too. of the sounds of like emptiness or a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like maybe we were in a canyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? So what? What was your final interpretation at the end when you saw all that? What did you think you watched? Um, it just felt like this struggle to become human, mm-hmm. almost like this recurring struggle. Like every part of the dance was an individual who wants to feel alive again, mm-hmm. who's like um, trying to express herself mm-hmm. through dance. Um, there's a there's like this part where. Well, this woman is dressed all in white, right? Yeah, she's dressed all in white. Her face is right. covered in white powder. And w- this one part, I would say, would be the core part is when she's doing a dance with a blank piece of paper. Yes, that's right. right. So I think there is maybe a sense that you know she herself is a kind of blank piece of paper mm-hmm. that can be written on, but you know it's a limitless form of potential expression. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's really cool. I, as you mentioned, I had a different interpretation. I think yours is better, though. That's what I'm, don't say that. I thought your interpretation is quite valid and really works with the amazing uh, kind of like motif that was cultivated throughout Like Smoke, Like Ash. With me, um, when I saw Like Smoke, Like Ash, you heard thunder and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. was reading it into like a different cultural context, mostly because she was born in 1943. I actually thought it was an homage or like a nod to... Uh, World War Two and the destruction right. of, and like a lot of the destruction yeah. that happened within it. And again, uh, for I think everyone knows that there were two bombs that right. were dropped, and not on just the nuclear bomb. Yeah. yeah, and not just the nuclear bombs, mm-hmm. but the fire bombing of Tokyo. Yeah, right? the fire bombing of Tokyo. That's right. right. So there was a lot of you know fire, a lot of destruction that happened. But again, with like smoke, like ash, there's something that comes out from it. And when I heard that kind of noise, and I saw her kind of like. Cause she was kind of like, like in like a little like like child's pose, almost like a infant, like fetal position, like fetal position, almost, yeah, Yeah, like hugging herself, like she's like struggling to wake up, and then as you mentioned, there's like crackling of like fire, like popping and stuff like that, and to me, she was just didn't seem phased at all. She was kind of like, she was kind of like, I just woke up, and I was like, did you not hear that that crazy noise happening? What's going on? And then. It goes into what you mentioned, this idea that fire then became water. Right. There was yeah. this idea of like of like stepping into deep water, that that weird kind of like almost like heavy sound of like stepping into water. You know, that kind of feeling where you go like boom, boom, when you're stepping into I don't know, that's into a into a shallow pond or into something. Into a shallow pond. Yeah. Like that weird like feeling of the water around you and you taking space in that area. Boom, boom. I'm trying to make the uh, sound for us listeners so that they would also feel the soundscape. Really cool soundscape. Because after that, there was some kind of like sound that made it seem like it was heating up again, right? Like a boiling? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into like the most conventional um, music choice, which is like these kind of stringed instrumentation. It was stringed instrumentation, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like... Smoke on the water? Uh... Little smoke, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of like classical. No, like violins and like violins yeah. and all that kind of like. I'm not a classical music expert, but it sounded like violins to me. <laughs> yeah, it, a, a pleasant harmony of stringed instruments contrasting the harsh soundscape we heard earlier. You yes. probably do smoke on the water with violins. <laughs> I bet you could. It would sound really like a fancy version. I don't know. I think the violin sounds fancy. The problem was that there was like a clear um, limit, like duration of the music, and it, it repeated a few times. It repeated a few. Maybe four times. Maybe a little too unnecessarily. But um, the one thing I did like, and I to go back, I for me, how I saw it is I thought it was a person who had actually perished during that time and was going was like was was trying to figure out her um, existence of between life and death so she is going through fire then going through water fire destruction water life and then that dancing with the paper for me I don't know why I saw a connection in the paper and the dancer as a um a familial connection. Right, you, you thought of her as a mother figure. I thought of her as a mother figure because the way she was kind of like 
dancing with the paper and then putting it against her bosom and kind of like tapping on it as an as if calming it, I thought it was a stage a stage of her motherhood. And then uh, later on, she crumples the paper, and I thought that was a stage of her realizing, I have actually passed. And mm-hmm. there was a huge significance with the ash as well, right? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do they do with the ash? Um, she kind of, so it begins with a, a kind of pile of ash shaped sort of like an anthill, I guess. Yeah, I thought it was sand at first. I thought it was sand or salt or, or flour or like yep. any of these kinds of things. And I thought, then I thought it was like the white makeup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she just kind of like crushes the, the pile and, and spreads it around. The, she also puts it on herself. Puts yeah. it on herself, yes. Mm-hmm. She, she like rubs it on her neck especially is one mm-hmm. very um, uh, important visual element mm-hmm. of the dance. And I thought, again, that was another sign of, you know, the idea of being... Um, being cremated, but being something else new entirely. She brings the ash with her, and I, and then she lies down, kind of complacent, feeling that she has become one with the ash. I thought it was just her, her journey of realizing that she is, she has passed away. Mm-hmm. However, it does not mean it's the end for her. She, she becomes a new form of matter altogether, and then the dance closes. And that's how I interpret it. And yeah. then you're like, what? <laughs> Actually, when I heard your interpretation, I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's based on contextual and historical uh, uh, a reading of it. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, this is really, really smart. Mine was less intelligent. No, it was still smart. Don't say stuff like that. Don't say stuff like that. Anyways, again, if you are interested in seeing um, this show and the show before, it is uh, going to be on again tonight, Wednesday. Um, Suji Vadia's show is at 7 p.m. at the Roundhouse Exhibition Hall, and Natsu Nakajima's performance is at 8 p.m. at the Roundhouse Performance Center. If you can't go by the Roundhouse, at the Vancouver Playhouse, it is Kokoro Dance at 8 p.m. And Kokoro Dance is also very, very, uh, very visual. They have a, they have kind of a buto feel to them as well. It, the choreography is by Barbara Bourget and Jay Hirabashi. Hira Bayashi, as you know, they were on our show. It is called the uh, the uh, Book of Love, and uh, it seems really interesting. There's some really cool pictures about it. I say go check it out again. March 9th at 8 p.m. Vancouver Playhouse. And if you are interested in these tickets, this one is for Company 605 for Vital Few. March 17th. The number is 604-822-2487. We will go into a a short PSA, and then come back with some more cool stuff for you guys. Thanks. What I wanna say. Hi there. Are you tired of listening to the same music day in and day out and want to try something a little different? Well then, how about listening to Asian music? Now, I don't mean it like... Open Gangnam Style! Nor like She bangs, she bangs Oh baby, but she moves, she moves I'm talking about a little more like And a little more like And also a little more like And definitely something like So tune in to Asian Wave 101 Playing you the best of Chinese and Korean pop Wednesdays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. only on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. And welcome to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. This is the Arts Report with your host Ashley Park and our cool arts reporters. Jake and Andy. Yes, Jake and Andy. And there's one more cool thing you should check out today, March 9th, 8.30 p.m. if you are kind of in the mood to watch... Um, some film at Van City Theater. We have the 
Bird Watcher. Uh, Imperative Pictures is proud to announce that its feature film, The Bird Watcher, will have its Vancouver premiere at the Vancouver International Woman in Film Festival in celebration of International Women's Day in March. And as you know, that was yesterday. And Isn't that the- just the camera guy on Birdman? No. No. The Bird Watcher is a story of Saffron, a single mother of two who, after being diagnosed with cancer, embarks on a journey to reconnect with her estranged birth mother in hopes of finding a home for her children when she is gone. And um, V-I-W-I-F-F is very important. Again, we want to have more visibility of women in film as directors, as screenwriters, as actresses. So I'm very excited to have this actually premiering at Van City tonight at 830 and um, this is the first feature by screenwriter Rosalind Muir, who you guys might not know is actually a UBC professor here at the Creative Writing Program, and director Sabhan Devine, De- Devin? Devine, and stars acclaimed Canadian actresses Camille Sullivan um, as Saffron and Gabrielle Rose as Birdie, the famous yet reclusive bird watcher and Saffron's estranged mother. So the bird watcher is kind of a story that encom- encompasses both tragedy and hope. It's a very strong first feature and, again, has local UBC talent involved. And um, this seems very kind of interesting for people who want to see more regarding uh, women in film. And, again, support your local talent here at UBC. Speaking of supporting local UBC. Yeah, and the funny thing is the Norm Theater has actually had quite a bit of FemCon. They had an entire week of that uh, back earlier. And the funniest thing was... Both American Psycho and Slumber Party Massacre, which is a double feature one night, are directed by women. Uh-huh. I was saying, I was like, I was like, I came in, like, like okay, right? like it's 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 uh, it was an interesting night. Also, we had a uh, Tank Girl feature uh, much earlier in the year with mm-hmm. director Rachel Talele, who is a uh, who is a, who is also a UBC prof and did actually was at the time directing an episode of Doctor Who, which I have yet to see. I'm told it's good. Uh, but wow, now, in terms of what is in the future as opposed to the past, yep. there is a pretty good week here at the Norm. Does tonight, the Classic Student Association had their pick of films. So there is Centurion, which is it's it's about a centurion. Okay. Uh, as as one may imagine. And the second one is Iphigenia, which is actually a kind of tragic story. Oh, I'm interested yeah. in Iphigenia. Tell me more. Yeah, Iphigenia is a story from a fellow well, from the play by a fellow named Euripides. Mm-hmm. And it's a tragedy. She was Agamemnon's daughter and uh Agamemnon you have to, you know, with the Greek gods it's kind of a give and take situation and yeah. the stakes get pretty high. Does not pan out well for her. If you, if you want to know more, see the movie. I'm told it's very good. And it's made by actual Greeks. So, you know, they won't be speaking the Queen's Latin in this one. <laughs> you ever notice whenever they, they need actors for Romans, they get Brits? Yeah, like, yeah they noticed that. I, I know that a lot of <laughs> Brits are at least part Roman, thanks to their nation's history. But I don't <laughs> think it goes the other way. At least not as much as I'm aware of. And then uh, the day after, now on Thursday, tomorrow... The interesting thing was there was originally there was originally a plan to get Batman versus Superman, um, okay. but for the upcoming film, yes, mm-hmm. uh, the upcoming film. However, the film was not delivered uh, due to a representative snafu, and as a result, we've ha- we've had to make do. We lightning quick improvisation. We have a double feature of The Dark Knight and Man of Steel, oh, cool. and um, yeah, it, that's we can do our best uh, for that. And though those are both excellent, those are I, I really like The Dark Knight personally, so. There's one, you know, why so serious? <laughs> I, I did the Joker for Halloween once. No, no, Andy. not quite good. Not a good impression. I haven't done. I haven't done it. It, it, it. You had to be there. I had the makeup and everything. I was. You had the full fantasy happening. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Terrifyingly, I thought I was going to shoot up the school. Um. Ooh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. But uh, so uh, on Friday, there's two very good r- films. Written by, but not directed by, Quentin Tarantino. Oh. Or at least, in part, True Romance, which was one of the first movies he ever wrote. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's actually, I find it, I enjoy it much more than any of his the films he's directed, because Why? it's done by Tony Scott. Oh, I Tony, see. And I like Tony Scott. He, he, did, he did feel-good movies, and... Like uh, this is a very good movie. It's got a lot of a lot of talent in it that was at the time kind of nascent or reappropriate or used old uh, older or at least established talent very well. Christian Slater is the protagonist, very good. Uh, and it, Christopher Walken is basically a cameo, which is excellent. Dennis Hopper, quite a lot of big names in this movie. Um, 
uh, there's uh, and it, it it actually ties into the continuity. You know, Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards. Apparently, the character Lee Donowitz here is his grandfather. There's this weird thing about all of his movies being in the same universe. It's 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 a fun movie to watch. I highly recommend it. It's not a it's a actually a pretty solid date movie. It's got one of the best love stories I've ever seen in film. Like it, it's it's honestly kind of cute at, at at times. Like it's it's something I did not expect to be written by Quentin Tarantino. Although Tar- funny thing, Tarantino has said a lot that he's really into romance films. Yeah. So. Really? Yeah, yeah, which is that's funny. He also wrote the movie It's Pat for what it's worth, that SNL <laughs> movie. He he wasn't credited, but he did that for his buddy. Like, oh, okay. That's good friend there. Um, and then on Saturday, there's also two excellent films. To another two. Uh, is so Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot. Oh yeah. Personally, one one of the best movies ever made. Uh-huh. I highly recommend it. Very funny. Jack Lemon, Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe at at probably at I'd say the three's career finest. Jack Lemon did do uh, a little better, um, mostly working with Bill uh, with Blake Edwards. But Billy Wilder, great director, very good sense of humor, incredible chemistry between everybody involved. I'm not a huge Marilyn Monroe fan myself, but I I, I like her in this movie. I really like. Uh, uh, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis, though, as actors. They're very good in this movie about cross-dressing musicians, shenanigans ensue. <laughs> George Raft is in it as a mobster. Yep. If you know who any of those people are, plus, I highly recommend it. And then after that is How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Now, you know The Rum Diary? The movie came out a few years back. I've heard about it. Yeah. I've never that- really... Um... Never really. A lot of it. people didn't see it, yeah, so sorry. that's uh, that's uh, that's <laughs> fine. It was directed by a guy called Bruce Robinson, who is no, a Brit known for With Null and I, which is another one of my favorite movies. Very good movie with Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann. He's shirtless most of the time, so you know that that'll that does that probably brought in a large female and slightly smaller, but definitely ardent male audience. Okay, that's and uh, it's it's a very uh, it's a very cheeky. And a very entertaining movie about um, these two actors trying to get away from it all. They're both kind of drunks. They're very bombastic characters, especially the titular Withnull, played by Richard E. Grant, a man to whom subtlety is a foreign concept, much like Anthony Hopkins. He's very likable. So How to Get Ahead in Advertising also stars Richard E. Grant as an advertising executive who's Mm -hmm. starting to lose it a little. I think every person in some sort of, like, business high, like, High-intensity business starts to lose it a little bit. Oh, yeah. And this guy starts to... He's really going. Bruce Robinson's very funny, in my opinion, very underrated director. He also wrote most of The Rum Diary because I've read the book of The Rum Diary. It's almost unreadable. It's actually pretty terrible writing from Hunter S. Thompson. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a line in The Rum Diary that I remembered because I, I own the movie. I've seen it more than I care to admit. It's not very good. But it's, there's this line, I uh, will be the voice of ink and rage. That's not Hunter S. Thompson. That's uh, that is uh, Bruce Robinson. So for that, I will always respect him, and that's why I'd recommend How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Mm-hmm. And so that's Saturday, and then on Sunday there's Kronos and Pan's Labyrinth, both of which I believe are courtesy of Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. I know exactly nothing about Kronos. I'm told it's amazing. I'm told it's even better than Pan's Labyrinth. Now uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Very good movie. That was one movie I actually did when I studied Spanish in high school, and that's what we used to learn Spanish a little really? bit. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just watched it because I liked it. Mm-hmm. You guys watched to learn Spanish. Well, it terrified well, me, but yeah. yeah, to watch a movie that has Spanish in it is that learning Spanish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, un poco. It's like, it's like uh, un poco. Yeah. oh my god, you guys. It was like when uh, in my high school they're like, okay, guys, time to learn French. They would turn on Ratatouille and then put it on like the French version. Like, you know, because you're bad well, to use in English, right? Yeah, so you yeah. turn on, like, the French dubbing. But, but that They're, makes sense because, you know... It's, it's if, set in Paris. Yeah. It, mm. it assumes, like, you maybe have seen it so you can compare. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. A Pan's Labyrinth. I, I, thought, I thought it was a good movie. It's not one of my favorites, but I definitely know it is well done. Like I love the dark fantasy aspects of Like, it. The, the guy with the eyes in his hands? Mm-hmm. Well, for one thing, there's a lot of problems with that. Yep. I mean, like, the, I, I don't know. Like, how does he use the restroom? I I, I don't know. Like, it, what, what, what if he's trying to fight somebody and he closes his fist? Is he, like, what about his glasses? How does he get his glasses fitted? Is, I, 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 I know, yeah, I know these it's, are the, uh, these are the questions that it was the fawn said. that terrified me though. That huge, the, the huge, almost Celtic seeming thing with a spiral on his head, standing mm-hmm. about nine feet tall with a, gr- a voice like he eats cigarettes for breakfast. <laughs> so how can, how can people, no. <laughs> so how can people, uh, if people, maybe this is the first time getting to the Norn um, or first time watching the Norn, what do they have to do? So the Norn is in the old student union building. If you walk into the main thing, there's a marquee sign right there. And uh, you go into the Norm, you pay $5, and you're covered. 
Like you don't. What do you mean by covered? That means that you can get in free if you keep your card. You you're not on a mailing list or anything. You can give them your email, but they don't. They haven't really sent me okay. uh, anything. The norm doesn't. They don't have a newsletter for if you don't want it. So the you um so you can just fill in your information. You get a card, mm-hmm. and then you can uh, come in anytime you like. The popcorn commodities are all very reasonable. The highest you can pay for popcorn is five dollars for a large, <laughs> or um, if you bring your own popcorn. if you bring your own container, no matter what it is, it's just two bucks. Oh, okay. And uh, the soda or a candy bar is dollar uh, fifty. Yeah, get your soda pops and everything. Yep, very good deal. Very unhealthy. There, there actually, there's actually a plan for next year. I'm told to uh, actually expand that a bit, like put some, oh, put in uh, like uh, up, up at the top because there's that uh, there's a little cafe that used to be open up there, mm-hmm. but is no longer uh, like most parts of the old student union building. And they're thinking of that, making better choices, better alternatives. For food. Well, or, or just to just to expand it, you know, because or just more popcorn and soda pops. Oh, well, hey, I, I I eat apples like no tomorrow, like. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the lapsed Catholic thing, original sin, what have you. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 and that, that's one thing that I, I kind of enjoy. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's probably that said, it's a pretty noisy thing, you know. Yeah, just for uh, listeners, that's how it sounds like when someone's eating an apple. Okay, that's a very annoying way to eat an apple. <laughs> oh, that's that's fine to hear in a theater. You don't want to hear this in a theater. That too. Hopefully, that won't happen for people who. No, are that will not likely happen. That will very un. That is. That will not happen. The the this this uh this weekend, mm-hmm. uh at all. Again, we we don't know. And um, other upcoming events. Again, we talked about next week. We have the really really cool UEC theater production of the Arabian Nights. I am very interested in how the mise en scene and. Everything just comes together. I want to see this play within a play that's set ambiguously in the Middle East. I'm interested to see what stories they tell because some of them yeah. – I remember yeah. reading the original Arabian Nights and like one story had a guy turned to stone from the waist down. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> well, it, it is adapted by Mary Zimmerman, so we, we will get mm-hmm. to see what they do. Very interesting. I so want to see what theater is going to uh, bring forth. Another really cool thing, if you are into more theater stuff um, – Brave New Playwrights is um, actually starting next week on uh, the Thursday, the 17th. This? Brave New Playwrights. Oh, I yeah. thought. Uh. And uh, we'll have the uh, the organizers of Brave New Playwrights. Aljus Huxley theme? Week. Excuse me? Aljus Huxley theme? No, it's not Aljus Huxley theme. I know it sounds like Brave, like, you know, Brave I, New I World know, and everything, but no, it's Brave New Playwrights. It's their 30th uh, year. And uh, doing this, and it's going to be very exciting. We're going to have them on for next week. And again, uh, next week, if you are interested for this VIDF ticket, we are doing a giveaway. Company 605, Vital Few, March 17th. Really cool. And also a lot of other stuff. There's UBC Players Centennial that's also coming up, so stay tuned. And again, you are listening to the Arts Report 101.9 FM. My gosh. You know what just occurred to me? From Unceded Muscan Territory. What? Aladdin was originally set in China, apparently. The story says it's in China. I've seen the illustrations in the book. They don't know what China looks like at all. It, 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 was, it was bizarre. I remember Are you talking the, about the book, The Thousand and, Thousand and One? Yes, the, the Arabian Nights. Because I remember I had a copy of that, an old, uh, old copy of that. Mm-hmm. I was growing up, and I remember this is set in China, and I look at the the images, and like I don't recall. The, I, 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 my knowledge of geography was was bad was is bad now, and was probably worse then. But there aren't that many onion domes in China. No, uh, I, 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 I'm pretty sure, right? I don't know what an onion dome is. Like the 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 minarets, the oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah. Like I'm 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 guessing. And that, like, that was actually a plot device because in the original Aladdin, um, the the princess, who I'm pretty sure is not named Jasmine, or it could be, I'm not certain, um, kills the sorcerer because, according to them, it's a custom for lovers in China to switch each other's drinks, and she just poisons her drink, so he takes that. This this is a really for, weird for, level of cultural appropriation happening. Yeah, like, yeah, I was confused about how that operated. Or like even like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. Like putting a different idea of a. Okay, I, all right. So we will see how UBC Theater does I, I, I'd like to. That just occurred version. to me. Sorry for interrupting the uh, sign-off. That's okay. No problem. That's really interesting, though. Cool fact that you learned today on the Arts Report. Um, after us, we have your favorite people who love to share science with you. It is Sharing Science Radio. Yes. And they're doing a show on space exploration today. It has Alan, Emil, Tanya, and, and Sam providing all the sweet science about space. 
Anyways, thank you so much for listening to our show. We are The Arts Report, and catch us again next week on Wednesday at 5 p.m. I'm your host, Ashley Park. Howdy. I'm Jake Clark. And I was Andy Ta. You was Andy Ta? What? You are Andy Ta. (laughs) Well, not in a few minutes, right? Because we're signing off. That's true. We are signing off. Goodbye, guys. Thanks for listening. It's a very small stage. I think it's much more interesting to live not knowing than to have answers which might be wrong. It's not really about going to another star system. It's about how do we improve life here on Earth? Not only the question, but the way you try to solve it. Beauty at this dimension of one centimeter is also beauty at a smaller dimension. Recently, the smog in Beijing was so terrible that the authorities issued a red alert, closing factories and